0: hey what's up everyone it's josh and today we're gonna go into the movie once upon a time in hollywood um like always we keep it non-spoiled for the first part of the episode and the second half is gonna be spoiler filled so if you haven't watched the movie don't listen to that part but if you want to listen to that part for whatever reason go ahead but it's a quentin tarantino film so you should watch it with sound. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Watch with Sound. I'm Josh Landicho, and with me is... Carmela Ocampo. And if she sounds very weird, it's because she's sick. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling, Carmela?
1: Um, I feel pretty good, Josh. And he meant sick as in cool, so...
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, anyways... <laughs> today we're gonna take a deep dive into quentin tarantino's newest film once upon a time in hollywood and like always the first part right now is going to be unspoiled and later on is going to be a spoiled filled analysis and a deep dive into the movie so (laughs) once upon a time in hollywood is a movie directed by quentin tarantino stars brad pitt leonardo dicaprio margot robbie Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, and many other famous actors. The film is about an aging television actor and his stunt devil and longtime friend that navigate through the changing Hollywood film industry, and it mainly takes place in 1969 Los Angeles Hollywood. Kamala, what did you think of the film?
1: Um, I really liked it. Um, I think initially, like, yeah, that was, like, definitely my initial reaction. Um, I really liked it. It was definitely a sl- super slow burn, but if you're already familiar with Tarantino films, you already kind of know what you're getting yourself into. Um, uh, most of his films are very lengthy, um, and the action doesn't really happen. It happens in bursts, but, um, everyone knows that it's a buildup to, like, a bigger scene towards the end, and... Oh yeah, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. It was about you know, it's about movies, um, what goes into it, and it's set in Hollywood, and it's about like westerns and there's cowboys. I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun, and um, it was, I think, a good mixture of a lot of character development mixed in with like you know a few action sequences here and there, and if you're in the know which Josh will get into um, later on. The last scene will definitely be more of a payoff for those in the know. And yeah, what did you think, Josh?
0: I loved it. I really liked the movie. It's somewhere in my top five, maybe like towards the end, but I'm not sure. Like Carmela was saying, it's a it's a decently long movie. It's two hours and 45 minutes. Um, and she was talking about how people are in the know. So... What she means by this is that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was shot in the late 60s um and mainly takes place in Los Angeles Hollywood um a lot of things happened during that time a lot of murders a lot of scandals a lot of things like that um but this one I we both had to take with a grain of salt because we didn't know if we wanted to mention this in spoiled version or the unspoiled part of the f- episode but um, what you wanna do, depending on how you see it, is have somewhat of a knowledge of Charles Manson and how he kinda plays during this time because it's not outwardly out- really said in trailers and like advertisements and stuff like that, but he has a decent hand in the film. It's a very um he plays a part in the film and like it's it's really hard for me to say if that's a spoiler or not, but like the way I looked at it is if you looked at if you had some knowledge of Charles Manson, it'll definitely affect how you look at the movie. But you could also research Charles Manson after the movie. It's it's like completely up to you. It's just like we don't know where to put this part of the um, film, but definitely have definitely have or not have some sort of knowledge of Charles Manson before or after the movie. but if you do watch the movie without the knowledge, you definitely should research it afterwards. Um, But yeah, it's a great movie. Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. He said 10th is going to be his last, or when he turns 60, and he's 56 right now. So that gives him four years to make another movie. (laughs) But um, yeah, very classic Tarantino, all about development, a great use of script, always enticing. It's always a fun film with Quentin.
1: Um, Just piggybacking. Off of what Josh was saying about um, Charles Manson, I think I highly encourage that you do research on him before seeing this movie, just because I think that it'll really add to your viewing experience contextually. And even afterwards, I think you'll have a deeper opinion about the movie and actually, you know, kind of understand what you just like Saw. Um, So yeah.
0: And with that being said, let's take this deep dive into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. So if you're at this part of the episode, it's about to get spoiled up in here. So if you haven't watched the movie yet, don't listen to this part. But if you, for some reason, just want to listen to this part, even though, I don't know, you're going to watch the movie or not, go ahead. But definitely... Watch the movie if you plan on watch the movie. Again, it's Quentin Tarantino can really do no wrong. So I mean, watch it. Um, but saying that, now that there are no restraints, you know, no holds barred, Carmelo, how'd you feel about the movie?
1: Um, I freaking loved it. It definitely made it to my top three. Sorry, Django. Um, <gasps> <laughs> and I, I personally really liked. Um, Leo's character. Like, I think his journey, probably the best Mm -hmm. in the movie. I don't know. I've never seen him act that way, like, so emotionally. And every time, like, he had, like, an emotional breakdown, it was hilarious. And so Leo's character is this sort of, like, not not really washed up actor, but he's seen, like, better days. Um, His, like, prime time has like come and gone and now he's only doing like, he's, he's casted as um, the heavy in what's it called, most of the films that he's been in and the, meaning that he's being cast as like the villain and he's seeing this pattern and he talks to like this other director, Al Pacino and he makes him realize that he's like slowly be like going to fade into like existence and he won't be relevant anymore. And so he like freaks out, and he's not sure what to do. And he spends like the rest of the movie like trying to find his groove, basically. And there's this great scene where he he's filming, um, or he's filming a scene, and he like forgets his lines because he's like a drunk alcoholic. <laughs> and so he's like drunk on set. He can't remember his lines. And it cuts into like the trailer and he's like giving himself a pep talk and he starts crying yeah, yeah. to himself. That's funny. And he like he's like, No, that's the last time you're ever gonna drink, okay <laughs> And he, he does this great of course like this great Western accent and he like He's like, You're never gonna drink again and He takes a drink from like his flask and he's like, Oh no and he's like tosses it And I don't know. I I, I loved his character. What did you think about him?
0: Yeah, Leonardo, of course, is Leonardo. So like he's just like whatever he, Yeah, like, whatever he's gonna act in, he's gonna obviously gonna kill it. And I think it's funny that he was Rick Dalton and like sort of the main character. I just love seeing him break down and be comedic at some because it's like Leonardo's very rarely a funny character exactly and it's just funny him saying react to these situations <laughs> in a comedic way <laughs> and like um so the part where like he's acting um in the shows and stuff and like he doesn't remember his line that part's hilarious too and like you could tell he has like sort of the nuances that actors have like they have tics or like some if something isn't right they want to cancel like the whole thing they yeah. don't want to like keep going like rick don't had the same kind of um Feel to him too, because like once he messed up a line, he's like, "Oh no, let's do it over." Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, he's just like, "It's <laughs> all over." Like, he had like this weird little like tick in him that like wanted to start all over, even though the rest of the scene was perfectly fine.
1: And he, I don't know, yeah, I I just can't um marvel enough about his performance and the fact that I I'd never seen him in like a comedic role like that. And I don't know, yeah, coming from this, I hope to see him in. You know, comedic roles kind of like this in the future. Not exactly like this, but yeah, he's a great, like, he has good comedic timing, I think. And I didn't expect that from him. Um, And jumping on to the next main character, Brad Pitt killed it as Cliff Booth, I think. And even though he didn't have many lines, as much lines, of course, as um, Leo's character, but... I I love how he was basically like a foil to his character and he, in reality, in the movie, was basically the cowboy that Rick's like pretending to be as an actor and in a sense where like Brad Pitt's character has this sort of like very dark, vague past about like maybe he killed his wife, maybe he didn't and like people fear him and he's like this like stunt double and he's like really buff, he knows how to fight and he's like streetwise and you know all that stuff and he's like very quiet but like still strong like presence and yeah he was basically the real life cowboy that Leo's character was acting
0: I think Brad Pitt though played a Brad Pitt character. Yeah, this is really? I feel like this is like catered to him. He's like this good-looking, buff guy. Everyone loves him. He's a stuntman. He's kind of like this rugged, lives in a trailer. Like I feel like it's very Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt's always playing like the cool person, like the rugged person. So I feel like it's not really out of his element. But I did love his character and how it sort of played with Leonardo's character. Um, I also loved like the friendship between the two. I think that was like yeah. my favorite part. Is that like even throughout what they've been through they really didn't stop being friends even with like how Rick Dome acted Cliff was still with them and it was like this like relationship between them that was really great and i like the um chemistry they had together um i also think um also like quentin tarantino wanted like saw this inspiration from like an actual actor and stuntman cuz he's like oh that's kind of interesting have how an actor and stuntman act together. I want to. I want to further this study of how they act together, and that's how this movie is made. So I think it was interesting how he played the chemistry off those two friends and being really close to each other.
1: That's so cute. And I know. Yeah, I really enjoyed their dynamic and their friendship. Um, I think it also lent into like more of the heart of the movie and like very like emotional core that I think like was very present. I think in this movie more than um most Tarantino
0: films. Yeah, this one is very sentimental. It was very like plays with your emotions and it's not so like um mean and rugged. It was more softer and like yeah. emotional. Played more on an emotional aspect in it. And which is which I haven't seen at all in any Tarantino movie, right. which is so interesting.
1: It was like I, I was reading um one review after I saw the movie and they mentioned that they think this film was his least cynical, which I think yeah. is a pretty good like way to describe it. Um, yeah, there was, like... like, And as you said, like, very sentimental. Um, a lot more feels than, like, his other movies. And... Because usually his other movies seem... Like, the characters are complex, but they're not too, like, emotional and or, like, they don't really show that side of them. Um, like, sure, they'll have, like, you know dark like backstories or like you know pretty cool like backstories that like make you kind of care about them but um i think with this with um leo's and brad's character they really had a relationship and like each individual character's personality made you like really feel for them from the start Mm -hmm. i think and like really made you like root for them in the end of course
0: yeah in in an interview too tarantino was talking about how like how do you compare this to his other movies and he said like hateful eight is probably my most disgusting movie i guess because of the way that people are killed and stuff like that but he's like that's probably my most rugged movie and i'm gonna counteract that with this movie once upon a time in hollywood this is probably my most emotional one like a more softer one and like even if you think about each character they all have an emotion towards them you know like you got rick dalton cliff booth or this friendship and symbiotic relationship you have margot robbie who's sort of like this um eyes to the sky growing actor and you see her sort of like take in what she's created and sort of like taking in what she's been making as regards to an actress and like it sort of acts as this like admiration you know it's sort of more emotional based than it is for the most part action based because it's more in tune with each person's emotions and that's how each character to develop is with like their emotion
1: yeah and Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Like, just seeing her watch her own movie in the movie was, like, so sweet. Yeah, that it was, was
0: so precious. It was so
1: wholesome <laughs> and, like, pure and, um, yeah, like, very starry-eyed. Like, oh, my gosh. Maybe they love it. Like, I, like I really made, like, oh, my God, I made it. Like, yeah, like, and
0: people actually like me. So yeah, like,
1: yeah, and not in, like, a gratuitous way either. It was, like, it, it felt like a real reaction of what someone would like feel like as an up-and-coming like yeah, actress exactly and yeah i just love the way that was depicted um her as sharon tate and i also love how they use the real clips
0: of, oh like, yeah 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 right? they actually used the movie yeah
1: they use the real movie like it wasn't
0: Margaret, robbie it's actually sharon tate yeah. which is also kind of it's kind of heartbreaking now that i yeah. think of it it's kind of sad um for those who don't know um this movie was taking place in the 60s which was when um, the hippie movement counterculture movement was um, prominent during this time and of course when the famous charles manson murders happened um and if for those who don't know <laughs> charles manson was uh, essentially a cult leader serial killer and the manson family as they were known eventually kill sharon tate J.C. Brig, and Um, Forgot her first name But the Folgers girl She's like the heiress of the Folgers
1: Oh yeah yeah. They're Polish friends
0: Yes They actually die in real life All of them All of them actually die in real life Yeah And Rowan Polanski Who's Sharon's uh, husband Is heartbroken And goes into like a Crazy scandal filled life after this It sort of like changes life Um,
1: Oh and her baby Her unborn baby
0: Yeah and Oh yeah and her unborn baby So like just thinking about that is very heartbreaking because like you see her watch her own movies and like us seeing it through Sharon Tate's eyes I guess that we would never seen like her her excitement what she's gonna do next and stuff like that and for the time period too I think it plays a lot a lot in this movie definitely a lot in this movie it's essentially like a love letter to 60s cinema and it goes into, you know, like, the TV shows then, the actors then, and, like, what people were doing then, spag- the, the rise of Spaghetti Westerns. And it's also cool, too, because I know, that Quentin, I know that Quentin really took his time with recreating Los Angeles as the era, and that's so insane because, he, like, he has the money, obviously, yeah. um, and it's just crazy to see Los Angeles and Hollywood during that time. And a lot of that, a lot of Los Angeles plays in the film, like, The cinematography is a lot of times focused on the city. Um, Like certain chapter ending, chapter starting, like it would be the city at night, shine bright, um, contributes to the next part of the film. And like just showing off different parts of the city, it's a really big aspect in the film.
1: Yeah. And as someone who's only recently moved to Hollywood, it was like really cool to see um, how it was depicted back in the 60s. And yeah, when I saw, like, the dome, like, light up. You know that scene where, like, he shows, like, a bunch of, like, famous monuments um, mm-hmm. light up at night? That was, that was like, super cool to see the dome. I was like, oh, yeah, the
0: dome. Um, I was watching in the dome, and everyone's like, yeah, we're in there right
1: now. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the I think the cool part about... Another cool part about this movie is how most of the scenes... Um, were of just Brad Pitt driving. And I think that perfectly captured what you pretty much do around LA. Most of the time you're driving. You're literally just driving around trying to get to like point A to point B. And I don't think people realize how much driving is actually involved within the city um, because like things are close together, but it's like not close enough to get there very quickly. It's a
0: fairly large city. So I mean, like you're going to be driving to place to place, even if it's somewhat close. Even if it's somewhat far, you're obviously going to be driving. But it was, it was interesting to see the minimal amount of traffic. I was like, wow.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> how great. <laughs> how amazing. Yeah, Brad Pitt can just you know weave in and out of traffic so easily. Yeah, sure wish I could do that. No, no, really. <laughs> That was terrifying to see. But um, yeah, I think um, with you mentioning the Manson family, I think is a perfect segue into how, like, I don't know, how – the fictional history plays into this movie and what actually happened in reality um so this movie is basically a historical fairy tale it depicts events that didn't actually happen but in the way that we probably all would want would have wanted it to happen rick dalton and um what's it called cliff booth are not like real people weren't real people i think they were based off of real people though like a real They're an inspired actor.
0: by people but they weren't actual people people okay yeah
1: yeah and you know with uh the manson murders um and how the ending played out with basically like them not targeting sharon tate's house but instead targeting um rick dalton it it almost like you, people not knowing the knowledge about the Mansomers will change the way, like, you view this movie, mm-hmm. and that ending sequence with, um, basically Brad Pitt kicking ass, that was amazing. And yeah, then
0: burning one of them alive. <laughs> burning, saying,
1: so. And burning, and Leon burning one of them alive will, like, not, will probably be a little extreme for those who don't understand the gravity of, like, what had actually happened in real life. Yeah,
0: that's why, like, we are so Torn in between telling you guys about researching him or not because the spoiler is is that he goes and kills sharon tate and like you kind of you like i knew that and i kind of felt that coming up but then once that happened the ending happened where brad pitt kills and beats up everyone that was like it was really satisfying (laughs) because like you could tell that it was sort of this like revengeful viewpoint of it like you killed these innocent people, and this is how I would treat you now if I were in that position. And um, first, like, hearing about the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I kind of thought it was a dumb name, but, like, watching the movie and then finally watching the end of the movie, I was like, wow, like, the name has such an impact because it is a fairy tale. It's something that doesn't happen, and it's a story that is not fact at all. And that's, like, the beautiful... The sadly beautiful part of this movie, it's like this fairy tale and it's like, oh, like the ending scene where like Rick Dalton meets Sharon Tate and like the title screen says Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like closing that fairy book tale. And like, it's just so emotional because you don't know Sharon Tate's future after this. You don't know Rick Dalton's future after this. Um, You don't know how far she could have gone. Like, it's just like this potential that never went and that's like the saddest part is because you don't know what she could have been it's like is this really sad
1: and like the another like sad part is that you know that this is not reality like this isn't actually how it panned out you know and um it's yeah i i think that's what made me the saddest i was like this is not real. Yeah,
0: because when the title screen came up, you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, they're like, "This is not real." This is
1: a fairy tale. Yeah, like, I've been
0: experiencing this.
1: Yeah, and then like
0: I realize now, like it's not, it's not true.
1: It was like after after all of that adrenaline and like revenge, it was super satisfying, and cathartic. But then when he meets Sharon Tate, and you're like, "Ah oh, shit, she actually died," dude. Yeah,
0: like like the, the, the deep dive into sadness like yeah. happens so quickly.
1: Even like the movie knows it like ended off with like a very. Melancholy, like tune, you know, very somber tune, and like the what's it called? The typeface for like the the title that comes up. Once upon a time, ty- Hollywood was um like written in like fairy tale font, yeah. you know, like with the O being like very il- illustrated, like and hard book. Fairy yeah, tale font. and like s- like serif, like fairy tale font. It was like super sad. Yeah.
0: So this film being um, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film um i kind of saw rick dalton being relatable to the all the actors and directors really yeah. like it's a essentially a midlife crisis film like rick dalton doesn't know what to do after this his best work is behind him um he doesn't know how his future is going to be and essentially like i had this connection with my girlfriend she kind of thought like maybe he made this movie because that's how Quentin Tarantino feels. Like, he feels like this is his midlife crisis. He doesn't know what to do now. All his best films are behind him. And he kind of doesn't know what the future is. And if you think about it too, like Brad Pitt, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, they're in the same boat. Like, name the most recent Brad Pitt or Leonardo movie and it's not like a movie that's recently made, you know? And I see that as being like, also relating to them because what are they going to do next like all their best stuff is behind them like do they still want to act and it's this interesting like connection between the movie the characters to real life director and actors um and I also saw it straight like that the idea strengthened of it being a midlife crisis film for Quentin Tarantino is because like if you look through the movie there's subtle hints and subtle easter eggs of each film that he's he's filmed. And um, yeah, so like I was like, what? That's so interesting that he has this sort of secret love letter to his own films in this film. Um, so just to go through it really quickly, all the connections that are in his film that connects to previous film, um, the first one being Kurt Russell, and also Leonardo and Brad Pitt, they're all in previous movies of his, but Kurt Russell essentially was a stuntman in Death Proof, and I think he's a stuntman in this movie as well.
1: Yeah? But yeah. Was he? I think so. Or he was like, was he the guy who was like, um...
0: He's kind trying of like, to a, like a casting person. Yeah, he yeah. was like trying
1: to kick out Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, and then what strengthened the Death Proof um, connection was there was an actor that came out after Brad Pitt and Bruce Lee were fighting. Um, I forgot her name, but... In the sh- movie was Janet. Her but name is Janet. In the movie. Yeah, I don't know the actress' name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she comes out, um, and that's Uma Thurman's stunt double for Kill Bill. And also, she was, like, one of the stars in Death Proof again. Um, it was kind of cool because when I watched the movie, when she came out, everyone started clapping for her because they knew who she was. Oh. Um, and then um, going through, like, the different films, f- fake films, some real films in the movie yeah like for instance 14 fists the nazi movie that brad pitt was in or rick Dalton was in obviously a nod to <laughs> inglorious bastards yeah um, the
1: flames are
0: yeah that's so fun Show <laughs> 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 um there's a movie called nebraska joe in the movie and it was directed by sergio karbuski who's actually a real director and During that time, he directed a show called Django. Whoa. Which inspired Django Unchained. And then, obviously, Bruce Lee is a deep, deep inspiration for Kill Bill. So, not a nod to that. Um, Rick Dalton's also in a movie called, like, Green Girl Ringo or something like that. Um, And in Pulp Fiction, the character that's the the boyfriend of Honey Bunny, his name is Ringo. And then... um, one part that I didn't connect until afterwards was um, the director of the, the, the film where he's the heavy. He describes what he wants um, Rick Dolan's character to be. He describes um, his wardrobe to be like a big handlebar mustache, a mullet, and this giant coat to make him look like a bad guy. And if you put that all together on um, Rick Dolan and you sort of visualize who he is, he's the main bounty hunter in Hateful Eight. Because he has a handlebar mustache, the mullet, the big coat. So like word for word he was describing that character. Um, and then um, on one of the billboards or signs there is an advertisement for a show called Honey West and that show is referenced a lot in Reservoir Dogs. Um, and lastly um, if you didn't get this easter egg you don't you obviously don't watch most of his films but Red Apple Cigarettes was mentioned a lot in this film, especially after the credits. And lastly, the only one
1: I noticed was Leo's um, second, like Italian film, was directed by Antonio Margheriti, which was the Italian, like, like fake name in one of the characters made in *Inglorious Bastards*.
0: So, along with the accurate Easter eggs of each movie. Quentin Tarantino really took his time in researching um, the time period. So, like, obviously, he has all his, like, his favorite actors. He has the Pueblo Mansion, and all that is really accurate. He has Steve McQueen, J.C. Briggs, Roman plants, Like, all those characters are pretty accurate to the time and to the actor. Like, if you compare the actors to the real person, they kind of look the same. Yeah. So he really took the time and effort to, um, to accurately depict each person. Um, and one thing I was actually surprised about was the historical accuracy with Charles Manson and the Manson family. I sort of know a lot about this because I love cults and all that stuff. So if you want to talk to me about it, we can talk about it. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Charles Manson did ride in a ice cream truck, as you saw pulling up to Sharon Tate's mm-hmm. um, house. Um, the Manson family and Charles Manson did live on Spawn Ranch. And the climax with whether or not um, George Spawn was alive was kind of spoiled for me because I know what happens in the house. Um, what happens? So essentially, when they go to Spawn Ranch, Squeaky, who's Dakota Fanning, yeah, she she was so good. Sorry, I just like <laughs> want to take a
1: second to like talk about how good she was as Squeaky because yeah. like she. She was, like, so disgusting that, like, you, like, didn't really recognize her at first. And then you realize that's Dakota fucking Fanning. Like,
0: it, holy shit. It's also funny thinking about how, like, she was in, like, little innocent roles. And then now yeah. all of a sudden she's in this Charles Manson And room. she's
1: like, I fucked him this morning, so he's a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, holy shit. Um,
0: but so, yeah. So when they get to Spawn Ranch, Dakota Fanning, a.k.a. Squeaky, who is part of the Manson family, did stay in george Spawn's house and she did have sex with them because the living situations during that time or during in spawn ranch are very uncomfortable to say the least they slept on the floors in like different areas but the reason why people think that squeaky like had sex with george Spawn was so she could have a bed yeah. could have her own bathroom like she could have her own space um but Squeaky did have sex with them, and, like, George was oh, that old at that time. Was
1: he actually blind, too? Yes,
0: he was actually blind. So, like, he didn't... So, know. like, they
1: were, like, taking advantage of him,
0: Yeah, basically. they were taking advantage, but he also did agree, like... Yeah. They did... He did, He was aware that they were there, but he didn't know that.
1: I'm sure they didn't... He didn't know they were, like, a murderous cult. Yeah, he yeah. didn't
0: know the, like, the depth of it. Yeah. Um, and, like, the part where Brad Pitt's, like, driving the girl and asks him to suck his dick that's accurate too because they're very sex-filled um and charles manson did have sex with underage women um so uh i know you guys are wondering like why would charles manson even like want to kill people he uh he sort of thought that a race war was gonna happen and that was gonna be the apocalypse he
1: was like Trying to like start one, right? Like, just like inside it, or did he think he, it was going to He happen?
0: thought it was going to happen and he wanted to jumpstart it. Okay. Because at that the time, um, I think one of his family members was in jail, and like he thought if he were to jumpstart that, it would, he'd be able to break him out and like sort of fight in this war. It was essentially a race war. He thought it'd be like yeah. white versus blacks yeah. and all that.
1: So if and, you've ever heard of the term helter skelter, that's what they called it.
0: Yeah. Because it was actually from a Beatles. Yes, Beatles song and they love the Y album which is kind of funny but um, so that's kind of why he wanted to murder is to sort of like jumpstart this war and jumpstart Helter Skelter and the song they sing in the beginning of the movie to keep to give them the creepy vibe that was an actual song they sang and then when Charles was in trial they sang that song but in different lyrics yeah it's kind of creepy but um, towards the end when they decide to kill it was it was Tex Watson, Sexy Sadie, Linda, Kasabian, and Big Patty that were going to kill them. Um, so they got Tex right. I'm not sure who Uma Thurman's daughter, Maya Hawk, if you watch Stranger Things, by the way. She's in it. Um, I don't know who she was supposed to be, but Sexy Sadie was there. And then I think Big Patty was there. Yeah, so essentially it was all accurate, except for the part where she drives away, because she doesn't do that.
1: Yeah, the chick with the um, with like the long black hair and like the pale face was the one who, like, murdered Sharon Tate, like, herself, right? And, like, stabbed
0: her baby. Um, It's also funny to think, too, that Uma Thurman is... Uma Thurman's daughter is also in it. Yeah. Giving more, like, ode to Uma Thurman.
1: Exactly. That was so cool when I saw her. I was like, yo, like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, just to give a little more context um, about the race war and, like, why they would target Sharon Tate um, and her friends, they essentially wanted to, like murder like the this like prominent like you know white like people and like basically frame it on like black people and actually later that night they went to like some italian family's house yeah, and like killed
0: those yeah. people too um the reason but the reason why they picked Sharon Tate's house specifically is because the beach boys producer and i think accountant or something lived there and the beach boys actually took one of charles manson's songs and that's why he's so mad, and he's like, "I want my money." So that's why he goes there, and that's how he knows from his memory what house to go to. He's like, I don't know, go here, even though like, they don't live there anymore. Just to start off, like the race war and to start the murders, he just kind of like offhandedly said, "Go here."
1: Yeah, I totally forgot. He like Charles Manson like wanted to become like this famous like musician, musician yeah. right? Yeah, and that's how he even like was connected to that Beatles producer, right, or whatever. Uh, Beach Boys producer. Beach
0: Boys yeah. producer. And then um, the line where where Austin butler aka tex watson was like i'm the devil and he to do the devil's business he actually said that yeah he said that in the shantay murder which is kind of like it's silly in the movie and like i don't know it's kind of funny
1: they took like this terrible thing that he said and like just made fun of it what's it called brad pitt says like he like reenacts it what (laughs) he's like or when he's like saying it to the police like and they asked him, like, what they told him. He was
0: like, You said it's the devil or something? I'm the
1: devil and I'm here to do some devil shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that part was so funny. Um, also, take note that they're on LSD the whole time. Like, they're on <laughs> Oh my on acid, god, right? yeah.
1: Brad Pitt's character took this, like, weed acid dipped cigarette. Acid cigarette. cigarette. <laughs> he was, like, tripping. Yeah. Um,
0: the Manson family, too, was 24 7 on acid. Yes. As well. yeah. So, like, they're kind of like.
1: They were yeah, insane. Crazy.
0: So, yeah, just a little backstory of Charles Manson. <laughs> I could tell you more if you want to talk to me about it. I love it. I love that stuff. But I, um,
1: I think it's interesting how briefly Charles Manson himself was depicted in the movie, almost as if, like, Tarantino didn't want to, like, place any more importance on him than he like wanted to. To, I guess. Like, there was like literally one scene which was like a minute long, and that was it. That was like the only time you saw him.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, it was weird that Charles Manson was there for like a brief moment, and like he's the biggest uh, villain in the whole actual murder. But like, thinking about it, if he did give more attention to Charles Manson, it'd create him as like what he wants to be, which is like the villain. Yeah. And even if he did create him as a villain, um, he would have to write another story around that about killing Charles Manson, but I think uh, the briefness of it, like, I understand it now. Like, for me, I wanted to see more of him, but, like, at the same time, I understood at a story standpoint that it was going to F it up.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, like, like, it wasn't about, like, Manson, you know? And even in, in the movie itself, they never mention the Manson name. They only refer to him as Charlie, Charlie, and I think that's probably the closest thing that you have as a hint to, like, which cult it is, because, yeah, as... Um, I said before about, like, not even having any context of um, the Manson family, you would probably just see, like, those, like, hippie people as just, you'd probably assume they were a cult, but you didn't know, like, how deep and how, like, terrible they were. They were just, like, you know, a creepy group of people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, So with, like, the backstory of Charles Manson, this is why me and Carmelo were sort of, like, On the edge of it because Sharon Tate and Charles Manson do play up what essentially this movie is and essentially what Sharon Tate played as a movie because if you were to watch this movie in hindsight, you would realize that like Sharon Tate really had nothing to do with this film. But um, in my opinion, knowing what I know about Charles Manson and how Sharon Tate passed away. I think Sharon Tate acted as like this hidden heart of the movie because essentially, this is what the movie's about is like this fairy tale about Sharon Tate, her potential that was lost, and like what could have happened. And it really is creating this fairy tale story around her because if she didn't get murdered and the Charles Manson family did die before they did anything else, it would essentially solve the problems that happened afterwards, which is. A loss of a good actress and like Roman Polanski, you know, he reacts to his wife's death and the end of like the counterculture hippie movement. This is essentially what pounded it down was the Charles Manson murders. And Sharon Tate being in this movie is such a great fantasy to look at because we're never going to see a great actress like her again. We're not going to see her time period again. We're not going to see what she could have done. And that's the saddest part about it. And I think that's why she's this hidden heart of the film because without her without sharon tate this movie would never exist and um it would have never been his quintino's ninth film essentially and i think it's just beautiful how she was depicted and how hopeful she was for her future and how like her future is playing out it's just this like hopeful aspect of the movie like he always had faith whenever she came on the screen because that's what she was she was this rising star and i think it's sad that she was taken away by a monster and essentially was the heart of this fairy tale and like that's what made me carmela sad is like the idea of what could have happened and how this could have affected other people not just rick dalton other actors could have like also acted with Sharon Tate and that could have been their big role and I think that's like the main or not the main part but like a good summary and a good ending to the fairy tale is like look now that Sharon Tate's still alive there's still more acting and more creating that could happen and I think that's why I think Sharon Tate's the heart of the film and sort of uh, created the film of what it's gonna be
1: that was beautiful Josh (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah he like Tarantino sort of gave Sharon Tate The fairy tale ending she
0: deserved. Um, It's also great, too, because he actually um, talked to Sharon Tate's sister and all those people relating to the murders just to make sure he's doing it right. And to make sure he's not stepping on other people's toes. So, with that, we wrap up Quinn Tarantino's ninth, maybe last film. Hopefully, there's more. Um, But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a great ninth film. Definitely in my top five.
1: Um, And in my top three. I think it's probably one of the most sentimental, emotional of the Tarantino films. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I personally love it. Um but also great if you enjoy Hollywood,
0: the 60s, and Cowboys. And with that, thank you all for listening. Um follow Watchwood Sound on Instagram at Watchwood Sound. We're available for listen on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple. And keep on watching, everyone.